Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso, and this show is meant to help you make creativity the filter for your life, redefine your relationship with fear by taking it out of the driver's seat, and step more fully into the essence of who you are and claim your right to have a dream and take up space. Today, you are going to hear from an amazing guest, a really great person to kick off the new year with. She's going to touch your life in countless ways. She'll inspire you to start your journey to healing, take responsibility for your happiness, break familial patterns, and redefine trauma through art. But before I share her sage wisdom with you, I want to ask you a favor. If you love the show, please consider leaving it a rating and review. Doing this takes less than a minute, and it really helps bring the show visibility, push it up the charts, and really help reach more creative people so that we have a bigger community to support each other. Also, consider sharing the show on your Instagram stories or on Twitter. Tag the guest at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Word of mouth for podcasting is very important, so if you like what you hear, please share. Now to the guest. Christina, or Tina as I call her, is a true survivor. As you may know, pancreatic cancer has one of the lowest survival rates of any cancer, and Christina became one of the youngest survivors of pancreatic cancer at just 19 years old. But her journey to healing didn't stop there. A second near-death experience would lead her to finally facing both her physical and emotional scars and eventually ignite her purpose to share her story with the world. Her trauma turned into a hunger for both truth and healing. She turned that pain into art. She's currently working on a one-woman show about her life entitled Scar, where she plays 40 characters who all tell her story. She's a keynote speaker, most notably seen speaking at TEDx, and has a talk called My Scar is Sexy that we will talk about in depth on the show. She's also a coach, writer, performer, and overall beautiful human being. It's important to remember that pain is part of the human experience, but creativity can not only help you heal, but it can also help others heal by making them feel less alone. I wanted to have Christina on the podcast because she shows us what it looks like to find your authentic self by facing your pain head on. We've had a rough year, but how we move forward is up to us. Additionally, I think she's a great example of how you can know someone for years and never truly know their full story. Tina and I worked together for over three years doing auto shows all across America. That whole time, I never knew what she survived and how she was working on healing. It's an important thing to remember when you encounter your fellow human being. Even when you think you know, there is still so much you probably have yet to learn. Today, Tina will share what it looks like to face your own mortality and why mortality can actually be your muse, how to own your full story, face your scars, let yourself feel, begin to heal, and find a way to listen and create from your experiences. Now here she is, Christina Helena. I know it's, you know, a big story, but I feel like in order for people people to understand you as a creative and as a human, they have to hear your story. And here's the thing. I was so blown away by watching your speeches because I knew you for years and I never knew that any of this was something you'd gone through. And so not only did it give me like this deeper level of love and compassion and respect and awe for you, it's a perfect illumination of the fact that we never know what someone's gone through or is going through. And we may think we know someone, but we maybe only know like a 10th of their experience, if that. So anyway, I don't want to bury the lead too much, but can you tell your story uh, (laughs) of your journey to, to health? 
Yeah, I was 19 years old. I was in college in New York City. And one night I got like a really sharp pain in my chest, but nothing more than maybe like a bad acid reflux attack. You know, it was sharp, maybe like a similar pain to what people have if they're experiencing like a panic attack. But I had an out-of-body experience as well, simultaneously as I was having this pain. And this inner voice said to me that I was dying. And I don't know why, Lauren, but in that moment, I believed it. Was that inner voice your own voice or was it a voice of something else? I don't know. Okay. It could have been either. I mean, I will never know what it was. But you heard it. I don't even desire to know. I heard it. Yes. I mean, so I believe everything and I believe nothing. I believe that everything can be possible and I can believe that everything can be in a manipulation of the mind and the brain because I think we know like this much about how the brain works. So could it be that it was my inner voice? Sure. Could it be that something, someone was speaking to me? Sure. I have like strong feelings about it for sure. But I knew that in that moment, it was such, it was just different. And I just knew I needed to listen. Right. You know, I often talk about that's like our impulse. That's like our instincts, right? What is that? I'm pretty fascinated with the idea of the impulse and the instinct and the intuition. I think it's powerful. I think if we learn to trust it, then it can truly be an amazing guide for us. Because how often has somebody said, oh, my gut told me to do that and I didn't do it. Why didn't you do it? Right. And there's a lot of answers to that, like why we don't trust our gut and why we don't trust our instinct. But to take it back to the story in that moment, I trusted my gut because I was used to trusting my gut and my intuition and cut to the next day. I went to see a doctor. He said that I was fine. Um, I saw four or five doctors. They all said I was fine until I was diagnosed with psychosomatic, meaning that I was just kind of making it up in my head and that I thought I was sick. That wasn't good enough of an answer for me. Quite frankly, it scared me. It scared me for somebody to say, yeah, you're not sick. What I interpreted as was you're crazy. (laughs) That's what it was, basically. I mean, yeah, I will be fair and say that I was a 19-year-old that was an athlete. And I'm sure I was extremely hormonal at the time. However, I was also extremely scared. Because what I experienced in my apartment, that pain that I experienced, that intuitive moment that I had with myself was really powerful. And I believed it. And I can understand why doctors thought I was healthy. On paper, it made no sense that I was going to be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And it wasn't until I begged, kicked, and screamed, (laughs) literally, for a CAT scan that they were able to find the pancreatic tumors that were all over my pancreas and had spread all over five of my organs. So once that was disclosed, I think not only my family and I, but all the doctors were in complete shock. And the tumors were growing, I wouldn't say like extremely rapid, but because they were hovering over my heart, it became a bit of an issue because if the tumors were to grow onto my heart, then they wouldn't be able to remove the tumors. So I had a Whipple surgery, which consists of removing all the organs that are infected by the pancreatic tumors and then having my digestive system reroute. So ultimately that saved my life. 
I didn't undergo any chemo, a little bit of radiation, but that's pretty normal, I think, or at least it was normal in my experience, like during the operation. Mm. And then I woke up with a 13 inch scar across my body. And that was pretty shocking because I wasn't really sure if I was going to wake up from the surgery. But also, I think facing my mortality showed me who I was. I don't just mean the good. I also mean the bad. So the very interesting thing happened to me when they finally found the tumors and they diagnosed me. The initial doctor said that I had six months to live. And when I heard I had six months to live, that was the first time I had thought about my mortality. The first time that this thing called death that I think is going to come to me when I'm like 80 or 90 years old is actually going to come to me in about six months. And that made me face things that I had never thought about that brought up stuff that I had ignored, suppressed, that brought up every scar, every wound I had ever experienced because mortality has this beautiful way of calling you out on your bullshit. It's so painful, gut-wrenching, but incredible. It's like you hear your death is coming, you watch the clock running out of time, and then you're just getting slapped with truth, 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 truth. And it's wild because it's really scary and it's really painful. And some of these truths and some of these secrets, I think we all have secrets, like you said earlier, right? We know like one-tenth of people's stories. If that, you know, if we're lucky to know one-tenth of people's stories, humans are so fascinating. They're so resilient. They're so powerful. They're so complicated. Think about your own personal story, right? And all the listeners right now, if they all thought about their own personal story and asked themselves, how many people in my life actually know my full story? Maybe two, maybe. If that, yeah. Because I mean, to be honest, do we even have the guts to face our own full story? And that's what mortality did for me. It made me face myself because I couldn't escape it because I knew that I was dying. And the first thought that I had when I was told that I had six months to live was I don't want to die with an unresolved soul. What does that mean to you? What it meant to me was that I had traumas and scars apart from getting diagnosed with cancer, apart from the major scar that I was about to get, which was a physical scar. I had spiritual scars, psychological scars, emotional scars, right? Things that I've never shared or things that I haven't worked through. I think we all go through life and have things happen to us, right? We get traumatized in situations. And sometimes when we don't have the tools to heal those traumas, we just kind of suppress them and we don't think about them or we avoid them. But ultimately those scars will never go away. They become the imprint of how we behave in the world. And until we resolve what I consider to be like our scars, which are emotional, physical, psychological, spiritual, we don't essentially have the opportunity to become our true authentic self. Because if we're avoiding our scars, what we are is the imprint of the scar. We are the self that the scar wants us to be. We're the defense mechanism. We're the survival mechanism of that scar because we haven't faced it, overcome it, and moved through it. We're just kind of pushing it to the side. Well, when we push that to the side, it's pushing up against us. What you don't deal with will deal with you. That's what I always say. I say, if you don't deal with your problems, they deal with you. Yeah. But when they deal with you, then that you, I feel, is 
the version of you that your scars want you to be, not necessarily your authentic you that you have the potential to discover by facing the scars and then really becoming who you are, void and vacant of those imprints. What role do you think that those non-literal scars had in creating your literal scars? Oh, when we have a scar, right? Let's say a scar that's been a secret and nobody knows about it or something that bothers you, that hurts you, that hasn't been worked through. When we think about it, if it creates sort of a depression, if it creates rage or anger, then that emotional life is living within you over and over and over. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. Like I really don't know a hundred percent, the effects of trauma on the body in regards to illness. But I can tell you this, that when I'm having a bad day and I'm really frustrated, then maybe I'll get a tummy ache. Well, why is that? That every time that I'm having a bad day or I'm frustrated or I have anxiety or I have stress, then I start to have a tummy ache. I think it's because mind body is all connected. And I truly believe in that. Now, do I think I created cancer in my body? I don't know. Was I predestined to have cancer in my body? I don't know. Was it just a fluke? I don't know. But I do know that it happened at such an early age for me that it taught me something about my own mortality, that then that became the one word that guided the rest of my life and pretty much guides everything I do. Yeah. And that is so powerful. I once heard Mike Posner say, you know, the world wants us to forget that we are going to die so that we forget that we need to live. And you said this beautiful thing before I started recording. And I think you said mortality is the key to all your creativity. Mm -hmm. Can you delve into that a little bit more? I think when we face our mortality as human beings, we face our human experience. And when we face our authentic human experience, that for me as a creator feels very vibrant. When I decided to write Scar, my solo show, uh, about my story of how I had a Whipple surgery and had these pancreatic tumors, I really was guided by the experience of facing my mortality. I think you know, I would agree with Mike. <laughs> my TED Talk is exactly about facing your mortality, dear unresolved soul. It's not death you fear, it's life. I do think we fear life. And I do think because life is so scary, life is so ambivalent, life is not fair, right? Things will happen. We want to avoid life. And the best way to avoid life is to avoid our mortality. Because if you actually were conscious often about the fact that you are going to die, it would call you out on your shit. It would call you out on your shit and you would deal with your shit so you can live because the truth is you could die tomorrow. You don't know that. And I think right now, you know, being in the middle of a pandemic, I think a lot of people are feeling this. I think mortality is very much all around us. We're completely inundated in it. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing for me has definitely been a near-death experience and really made me question like, am I living the way I want to? Am I going down a path that feels like me? And like, what is really worth it? Like, what have I prioritized? And is that even true? Mm -hmm. And you know, it's interesting because your TED talk was, (laughs) I wonder if you think that there's any meaning in this. It was like 10 days before the big lockdown happened. At least that's when it premiered. I don't know if that's when you recorded it, but I feel like that was divine. (laughs) 
I know. Well, well, like it came out and then I thought to myself, I was actually nervous with sharing it with people because I thought, oh my God, Christina, you just did a TEDx talk on mortality and basically talking about face your mortality. And then the pandemic happened about exactly. I think it was like 10 days, eight days, 10 days. That's when, at least when like people started locking down in LA was the 13th. And I think it went live on the third or the fourth. It went live on the fourth. I know it was so wild. Um, do I think, I mean, I don't know. Here's what I think. I love you. You're so middle of the road. Cause I'm like, yes, absolutely. It was a sign. <laughs> you know what? I am in middle of the road because I, I've tried to learn in my life not to have absolutes because I've yeah. learned by, you know, looking at my own life that every time I've had an absolute, I had the absolute because I needed to convince myself that the way that I thought was right to be able to protect myself because that absolute, that ideology of whatever the absolute was or is that I believe in actually is a defense mechanism because how can I know the absolute? I can't, I can't possibly know the absolute, especially on some, you know, a lot of the existential things that I, I tend to think about. And I realized that when I have absolutes and I leave no room for an alternative idea or opinion or suggestion, that's just my way of controlling the situation. And when I need to control something, it's always a defense mechanism. It's a survival mechanism because if I don't control it, then sadness or trauma or anger is going to come in and just kind of like take over. I find it to be a control mechanism, unless we're talking about like some science and I'm far from a scientist. <laughs> oh, talk about calling you out on your bullshit, Tina. You're really calling me out today. <laughs> No, I know. I agree. Like, I mean, I wrote a whole song about it's called Freak Show, my my most recent single. And it's all about like thinking in extremes, because I think a lot of times artists or people that associate with the word artist or creative have a propensity to think in extremes. Mm -hmm. It's this or it's that I'm good or I'm bad. I'm doing amazing or I'm failing. And that's none of it's really true. Mm -hmm. And I know that. But like, how do you as someone who is so deeply and truly an artist find the peace in the gray area because life really it's, it is the gray areas. It is the in-between these extremes. They're not real. They don't last at least. How do you hone in on and find the peace in the in-betweens? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I have my extremes too, just for the record. Okay. <laughs> for the record, I have my extremes for sure. I have my bad days for sure. I have my imposter syndrome for sure. I have anger and rage and sadness and happiness and joy and elated feelings for sure. I think for me, because I've had a few experiences where mortality just kind of slaps me in the face or has slapped me in the face. I'm not able to forget those experiences. You know, I wake up every day and I see a 13 inch scar across my body. Every single day that I look at myself, I see the evidence of that moment on my body. So when I have those moments, sometimes I laugh. Sometimes I can get so upset about something and there's like an inner voice in my head going, oh, you're so cute right now. You're angry. I'm like, yeah, I am angry. What are you angry about? Well, I'm angry about that thing. Oh, that's funny. Like I have this other <laughs> voice in me that like talks to me, me too. all the time. And it's just like, you know, it's like, okay, I'm just going to let you be angry because I believe in anger and you should release your emotions. But you know, that's bullshit, right? Because this and this happened in your life and it's not nearly as bad as that. Like yeah. I have these moments with myself and I can't take my 
extreme emotions or my extreme moments too seriously because I know how quickly they can go. Right. And sometimes you just need to let yourself feel it for a minute, go through it and then come out the other side. And that voice usually wins on the other side. The, the one that's like, okay, well, for me, it's like, look, are you really doing this again? We're, we're going to do this. Okay, go for <laughs> it. You know, like have your little moment. I know you're going to cry for 15 minutes and pound the ground and ask God why this is happening to you and say how unfair it is. And then you're going to get your ass back up and you're going to go back to the guitar. You're going to go back to the mic. You're going to go back to the drawing board and figure it out. 100%. Lagrasso. <laughs> Listen, 100%. I think what you just said is probably one of the most important lessons any human being could learn. Because when we don't feel it, when we don't move through it, then it just sits there, right? If you're angry, feel it. If you're sad, feel it. If you're happy, feel it. Feel it, feel it, feel it, feel it, feel it, and just move through it. It's not going to last. And I mean, also, as we get older, and we become more wise, and we've had more human experiences, right? We all know that our emotions ebb and flow. We all know that we've moved through it. You know, it's not like we're young and think like the world's going to come to an end when we're having a sad day. Yeah. And I mean, think of it, the sky forced itself to always hold in the rain. I mean, our world would be effed. So we are just, you know, manifestations of nature. You got to let it flow out. Sometimes it's going to be sunny. Sometimes it's going to be overcast. Sometimes it's, it's going to snow. It's going to rain. You're everything. But I think it's like you said, not getting too wrapped up in a moment, going through it and coming out of it. Yeah. And let me say something else Please. that I just thought about. In those moments where it's flowing through you, right? The good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. How many times you, Lauren, because I know this is true for me, has some creativity sparked, right? Like some emotion, like you're just like, livid and you write like a lyric or you're so happy being around a certain person and a lyric just comes out of you. For me, it's like a line in a poem or sometimes I'll write a line and I'm like, Ooh, this has got to go in a script somewhere. One of my characters got to say this at some point, you know, I have like a running word document with like one liners that I hope characters will say at some point that I'm like, this is brilliant, Christina, you know, but like when we feel because we're artists and we can't erase the fact that we're artists, our brain simultaneously is feeling and observing the feeling, observing the human, observing the artist. The artist is listening and can create. A ton of my stuff has been birthed out of feeling, going through emotions, going through moments. Uh, hello, Adele wrote like a brilliant album after a breakup. It's almost like, come on, life, bring it to me because I want to write some good shit. You know, it's like as artists, we are so lucky because, and maybe we forget this sometimes. I know I do because my human mortal self kicks in. But as artists, we have so much access to our imagination, our artistry, our creativity that we can take pain, we can take emotion in the immediacy that we're experiencing it and transform it into art. Mm. I mean, artists for me are alchemists. And if you can, as an artist, really embrace that and really just see your humanity in the moment. And then as the artist, the alchemist, take your pain, take whatever you're going through and create something, even if it's just one line, for your word document of one-liners that characters are going to say, that's incredible. That is an incredible gift. 
the biggest blessing Mm -hmm. because first of all, it doesn't stay in you. Second of all, it doesn't end with you. And you give the someone else the opportunity who's also had that pounding the ground, crying, asking God why moment to know that they are not alone. Yeah. We're mirrors of the world. Our job as artists is to mirror to the world what the world is. That's why we write about it. That's why we create about it. That's why we paint about it. That's why we color about it. We're reflections of the world we live in, you know? So I think as artists, we have that power and maybe that power makes us angry. Ooh, say more. Well, if you're attracted to a victim mentality and you know you have the power to not be the victim and to be resilient and to survive, then maybe you don't want to accept that, right? Because I think all humans have this, but I think especially artists. Because as artists, we are constantly watching the world and become being inspired by it to create what we see the world to be. So we're constantly analyzing and fascinated with human behavior, cultural behavior, societal behavior. It, I just think it happens automatically for an artist because then we go and create from what we experience. And I think if we really surrender to that reality, then we have the power to heal ourselves through our art, whatever your art is, whatever your creativity is. And I think that may, in some situations, anger people, upset people, because you have the power. You have the power to heal yourself. You have the choice to move through it and to like take the self-responsibility that I think every human being needs to take. So would the anger come from not taking that responsibility or where is the anger coming from? Well, I think the anger comes from that inner part of us that doesn't want to accept the reality that we can save ourselves. People want to be saved because if I want to be saved, then that means I'm a victim and I deserve to be saved because whatever happened, whatever hurt me, hurt me. And someone else is responsible for that. And guess what? You're damn right. If somebody else hurt you, if something else hurt you, yes, that it, whatever it was, is responsible. But they were responsible in the moment. Every day after that, you are responsible for keeping it alive. You know, that was a lesson I learned the second I heard I had six months to live. Mm. And that was the hard truth that slapped me in the face. And like, I remember the moment where I'm standing in the middle of my garage on my driveway, because after my parents told me I had six months to live, I literally just walked out of the house. Like I, I couldn't even breathe. And I remember like thinking to myself, trying to like renegotiate, I call this the moment where I was renegotiating, renegotiating my spiritual agreement with God. Um, (laughs) At that time, you know, I was like young and I was like looking up and I'm like, okay, buddy. All right. Listen, listen, (laughs) what is this shit? And then I was like, okay, fine. Listen, if you let me survive, I will finally deal with this. Such a dogmatic point of view at 19 years (laughs) old. It's definitely changed since then. But that was the moment, you know, for me where I realized I get it. I hear you. I am responsible for my mindset. I am responsible for how I see myself. I am responsible for my opinions of myself. And just to be clear, another disclaimer here, I didn't survive cancer. And then the next day it all went away. Oh God, no. It took, it took years and years. This is not an overnight journey. 
but it is a journey that is worth every moment. Tell me about what the word healing or healed means to you. Do you think we can ever fully heal? No, no, I don't believe in the word healed. I don't even think that that word for me doesn't exist. Healing is continuous until you fall in love with the reality that the human experience is to continuously heal. I believe that humans will continue to suffer because if you treat healing as this final destination, I'm going to be fine. I will be happy. I will be joyful when I reach this point. And let's face it, right? You're the only one deciding what that point is. And we all set really high bars for ourselves. Then it's like almost we don't want to let ourselves be happy. I don't believe that healed is even possible. I think healing is continuous because I think human beings are brilliant. I think they're just complete magic. I think they're infinite. They're absolutely infinite. Like I can say this is true for myself. Had somebody said to me 15 years ago, Christina, you will one day write about your full story, talk about your full story, I would have probably had a panic attack. No joke. I would have been like, no, 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 no. There's absolutely no way that's ever going to happen. Like you even said earlier that you had no idea. I didn't talk about any of this stuff. And I would have never believed someone if they told me that I would be who I am today. There's no way like that wasn't even in my sphere of possibility that would be within my comfort zone. So I feel like I've proven to myself that who we can become is infinite because I've been able to move through trauma and heal myself to a level that I never thought would be possible. And I know that to be true for your listeners. I I know it because I think that's part of the human experience. Yeah. I definitely agree. It is. I always say um, trauma has legs. You know, it doesn't end with you. If you don't cut them off, it walks right into somebody else or into another more drastic experience for yourself. And in watching your TED talk, it was interesting because you had another near death experience when you were 25. And from my understanding of that, that seemed like it was really the inciting incident of your healing, like your deep healing journey. So take me from like, 19 to 25 to now, what was the healing like in those different periods? Yeah. So I would say like 19 to 25, I wasn't even healing yet. I was surviving. Mm. You know, it took me a long time to be able to learn how to eat again because I had, I was missing five of my digestive organs. So it was very difficult for me to eat or what foods I could eat and tolerate. I was in a lot of physical pain from my scars and just the major operation that I had gone through psychologically. It was like I skyrocketed to this place that was so out of my experience as a 19-year-old that then I kind of needed days and months and years to come down from that insane experience that I literally went into complete fight or flight to survive. So you know how like sometimes you get through something because you go into your fight or flight, but then like when things are back to normal that whole experience like comes back to you. Oh yeah. And that really was a lot of my 19 to 25. And I also had a lot of existential questions. What is life? What is death? What is healing? What was that voice? What is our intuition? What is the impulse? Why did I just think that? Do I have control of my mind or does my mind have control over me? What is God? Does God even exist? I mean, 
crazy questions. Actually, I shouldn't judge that. They're not crazy questions. Yeah, but they're big questions. But big questions. Yeah. Big, big, big questions. And then I always knew about this deal I had made, you know, this like lingering deal that I had made with God. But it wasn't until the car accident that I literally was afraid to come out of my house. And not because I thought I was going to get into another car accident. Because I thought, God is going to like strike me down. He's going to be like, listen up, great girl. I don't know how many times I got to tell you. How many times are you just going to keep ignoring me? But you need to deal. When I came out of that car accident alive, I literally was like in the middle of Sunset Boulevard in Coenga looking up like, okay, I got it. I got it. Okay. That's a tough place to be too. To get a near-death experience in the middle of Hollywood. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That's already where souls go to die. You must have been really freaked out. Shit. It was on Oscar night. (laughs) Oh, girl. Oh, oh. You don't even want to be in the area on Oscar night. Oh, this is so funny. I was driving home and it was like 930 at night. And yeah, I got into this wicked car accident and that was it. I knew it. I knew it. In that moment, I was like, Christina, this is going to kill you. If you're going to keep ignoring yourself, you're going to ultimately get yourself killed here. And that was it. That was the turning point for me. That moment on Coenga and Sunset Boulevard, 9.30 p.m. on that beautiful Oscar night. Oh, gosh. I just sat on the pavement. My car was completely totaled. A homeless man pulled me out of my car. Bless him. This amazing human being, which unfortunately, like I was so out of it. I never got to exchange information or like properly thank him. I wonder if he was an angel. He really was. He really was. Yeah. And um, that was it. That was the moment I would say 25 to now has been conscious act of healing. Right. That makes total sense. So that at that point you put your hands up, you're like, okay, I get it. I'm in, I surrender. I will start this path. No more messing around. Yes. And you talked in the TED talk about you went to shamans, you did crystal healing, you did Reiki, you were like looking up YouTube videos, like ferociously attacking healing in in a beautiful way. Yeah. But what it really sounded like ultimately, I mean, obviously all those things help and they get you in, but it sounds like to me, ultimately the healing came from you. It always comes from you. Yeah. No one can heal you. I don't care how many shamans, therapists, you know, I don't care what countries you fly to, what kind of body work people do on you. If you don't permit the healing And by permit, I mean, feel you deserve it, that it's time for you to play your part in the healing process, which is surrender to heal, surrender to see the truth and take responsibility for the fact that you have been in suffering as well by your own choice. The healing will not happen. If somebody, I mean, I have someone very close in my life. And I'm definitely in this camp to an extent. I'm trying to get better and really surrender to it the way you're saying. But I have someone in my life who hasn't, they're like in the 19 to 25 stage, you know, like they know they need to change, but like they're kind of living hand to mouth. It's after a traumatic experience happened, they can't move on to to the next step. And I don't want them to have to have a car accident to move there. Maybe that's what it requires. I don't know. But what would you say to that person or to a person like that who knows that they have to go through this process, this painful, painful process of healing that ultimately leads to beauty, but they're struggling to start? Yeah, it's a great question, Lauren. I think this is a question that's probably a little hard for me to answer. And 
that may come to you as a surprise because I, I coach people on the healing process, but I think it's different for each person and each relationship that we have with each person, right? Because some people are open to listening. Some people don't want to hear anything. Sometimes you can help somebody by just handing them a book. Hey, this book reminded me of you. That's it. Let them read the book. Let them have their own experience. Sometimes it's just a text message that you sent them to just tell them that you care instead of telling them like, hey, you're not healing. You're not doing your work. You need to do this. Otherwise, this and this will happen. Sometimes doing the opposite. Instead of helping somebody see something that they're not doing, maybe just loving them. Maybe just being supportive to them. Maybe taking them to see a movie that you think will affect their imagination or their emotional state. Because I really think that the decision to heal has to come from within. And I've yet to meet people that like to be told what to do. Yeah. Right. As artists, do we ever tell people how to change their lives? No, we create imaginary circumstances through the act of storytelling that then simultaneously in all these coded creative ways inspires people to maybe think about something differently. So approach the people you love who are on a journey or you feel, even if you feel they need to start a journey to healing as an artist. Yeah. As an artist, approach it also in a, in a way that they're already on the journey. Just because we look at it and it's not the journey we want them to be on, or it's not the place in the journey we would like them to be in because we worry for them and we love them. They're on the journey. They're just at a different place and they will have to get to that other place through their own will, through their own decision-making. Like you said earlier, maybe he does have to get into a car accident. You know how many people try to course correct me in my life and my stubborn ass wouldn't listen to anybody. I mean, I'm like stubborn to my core. I wouldn't listen to anybody, but it wasn't until like this major car accident just shifted me. And that's what got me to listen. And I'm not saying that like everybody needs to have a catastrophic experience in their life, but everybody will have experiences in their life that will help them course correct and they will do it or, or choose not to do it. It has to come from within. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it kind of goes back to something you said earlier, which is control. I recognize that I sometimes like can be in that controlling thing or like the thing you talked about in your TED talk, you're like, I'll ask people all the questions so I don't have to answer anything about myself. A lot of times when we think we know the best thing for someone else, it's because they're triggering something in us that we actually need to work on. Mm -hmm. So that's a good thing to keep in mind too. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, you talked in your speech about your culture and how I think it was tied to secrecy and how like certain things were talked about, certain things weren't talked about. I mean, I'm not Greek, but I'm Italian and there's a lot of similarities between our cultures. Mm -hmm. I think that they're both highly steeped in secrecy and shame and don't reveal that thing about the family. You keep that within these walls. You know, there's a lot of enclosures that you have to stick within in order to be a good girl. Yeah. You just opened a can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> Time for a Diet Coke break. Yes, yes, yes. Da 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 da. <laughs> I really needed that. Love what you love. Diet Coke. 
Get Runway Ready, a chance to win the ultimate shopping experience plus hundreds of prizes curated by Kate Moss. Promo packs in store, 18 plus, T's and C's, visit cope.co.uk slash break. I'm half Greek, but because I was born and raised in Greece, I really identify with my Greek culture because it was the culture I knew and only knew until I was 12 years old when I moved to the States. And the Greek culture is very... There's so many beautiful, positive things about it. I And I would say, when I say Greek culture, I really mean the Mediterranean cultures. Yes. Because like you said, the Italians, the Greeks, we're all so similar. There's something about the Mediterranean cultures that is very similar in so many ways. And secrecy is one of the things that we all hold in common for good and for bad. And the Greek culture, it was very much about being a good Greek girl. And of course, that is changing in a lot of Mediterranean countries right now, like crazy. But I think when I was younger, being a good Greek girl probably means something very different than what it means today to be a good little Greek girl at perhaps like 9, 10, 11, 12. And it was always about like being your best behavior. Don't say anything bad. Don't speak up. You know, don't be angry. Don't be upset. In general, growing up in Greece, women weren't encouraged to play sports. Gymnastics was the only, you know, female appropriate sport that I could play. And whether that was completely spoken or not, it was just the way the culture is. You observe it and you absorb it. I could tell that people didn't say anything or certain people was like, let me tell you something, but don't tell anybody. Oh, all the time. Yeah. Even now. Yeah. And then you sort of like take that in, like somebody says something to you and then they say to you, don't tell anybody, then you sort of just behave that way without really investigating to see if that's the way you want to behave. Well, I'm six. I'm taught how to behave. I don't get to really investigate how I want to behave unless it's something that's innate about one's personality. And as I was in my 20s embarking sort of this long healing journey, I started to really see that a lot of the things that were hurting me was the fact that I had never released anything. And when I started to investigate why I had never released anything, it's because I was taught not to express myself. I was taught not to say things that might cause a problem. And that was so ingrained in me from growing up in Greece. And mind you, not only did I grow up in Greece, I grew up on an island and then I grew up in a little village. Mm. So that mentality was very different than maybe growing up in Athens and a major city. And because I grew up around my grandparents a lot, they had a lot of influence in me. And my grandparents were of such a different generation that their ancient generational ideologies were imprinted onto me. Like my mom and dad are actually like super liberal and this like progressive. Yeah. My mom's an American. But I was still so influenced by this Greek perspective because I was around so many Greek people and I was around my grandmother so much. So I find that to be really interesting and unavoidable. Like the environment we grow up in will affect us. Everything will affect us. And it's our job to just kind of take a little pause and backtrack a little bit and say, what have I learned in my life that I think is normal that actually hurts me? a lot more than helps me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got I was getting chills the whole time you're talking and I got this really wild image. So I'm just going to share it with you. I pictured like 
our secrets, the things that are holding us down, like being in a box over our chest and like, it's keeping us from accessing our heart, you know? And I'm picturing all the hands of like our ancestors and people who also had trauma, who were told not to talk about it, like gripping it. And I feel like the process of opening that box also involves prying their fingers off of it Mm. and releasing them with love so that you can open it up and be yourself and then take the box out. Yeah. You know how hard that is? Even those of us who desire to do that, you know how hard it is? Because those hands that we're pulling off, we want them on us because it's a form of love. So we think. It's a form of protection. So we think, right? Most of that time, it's people that are family members, people that we feel protect us or should protect us. So we want them to protect us. You know, I've been working on my memoir and something I wrote the other day was born alone, die alone, and a few laughs in between about the terror of that realization that we're actually very alone. And I know that in my life, when I reflect back to it, I've done so many things just to feel that I'm not alone. But in reality, I am alone. And there are all these people that can help and support me. But ultimately, nobody is going to have my back the way that I will. Now you can say, well, your mom and dad will. Yes, only within the extent of their ability based on how much they've dealt on their stuff, can they possibly be objective enough to be there for me. And that's every human, right? Like I can only support you to the level of support that I can give myself to the level of healing I've done on myself to be able to help you with the intent to help you and not help myself. What's the comfort in realizing that you're alone? That you're capable, that you're capable of creating what you want to create, that you're capable of feeling what you want to feel that you're capable of expressing what you want to express. And it's empowering because we, we want to be in control so dang bad as human beings. Well, guess what? You are. You're in control of your happiness. You're in control of your circumstances. You're in control of your opinions of yourself. Well, we don't want control of that shit. No, I don't want control of the good stuff. I want control of the other stuff that's like not good for me. Let's talk about my scar is sexy. Yeah. So my scar is sexy is about ownership. It's about self-responsibility. I think most people's scars, from my experience, give a lot of people shame. And when something is shameful, we don't talk about it. We suppress it. We ignore it. We try to forget it. We do our damnest. We move mountains to try to eliminate it from our life. We can't. So when we, instead of pushing it away, embrace it, and not only just embrace it, We just grab it and bring it so close to us. Then it's about ownership. Like the scar is not going to have power over us. And that is sexy. You know, I'm also have like some strong opinions about what it means to be sexy, right? Because sexy, I love the word because I think sexy is confidence. Sexy is so often associated with something that is visual. And let's face it, something that is symmetrical. and. Something that is symmetrical and visual is not, I think, what encompasses sexy. You can meet really pretty people that are just really mean or awful, right? Sexy is who you are. It's an energy. It's an empowerment. It's a confidence. And a lot of things can be sexy. 
And I think it takes a lot of guts to think that the thing that you thought was the most ugly is actually the sexiest thing about you because it has the opportunity to give you yourself. So I've never seen anybody who does speeches the way you do them because you bring everything that you are to them and you're so fully embodied. You're also relatable and open while being so confident. It's truly remarkable to watch you work. Mm. Oh God, thanks. <laughs> you're going to make me blush. <laughs> Thank you. Well, good. It's true. Obviously we met during the auto shows. So I'd seen you speak about, you know, the four liter engine <laughs> or whatever. A I lot know. of automotive content. I blocked it all out. Um, <laughs> no, that, that was actually like, as far as day jobs, that was my favorite day job I've ever had. But it's interesting because I feel like you and I, and this is something I want to talk about, both had moments with each other. I don't think you know the one for me, but we both had moments with each other that kind of altered our paths a little bit when it comes to creativity. I'm going to share the one that you gave Tell to me, me that I don't think you know. So we were doing the New York auto show and I had to like take off early so that I could go sing at this little cute venue in New York city in the village. And you got off work early to come watch me sing. And I think you let everyone off early so that they could come see me sing, which like never really happened in auto show world. You know, it was very like by the books and strict. And after I came off stage, you just looked at me with this intensity and you said, you know, you become a different person when you sing. There, there's something about you. You like you're embodied. You're in your skin. Like you become different when you sing. And I never had thought that or thought of that. But in that moment, when you gave me that affirmation, it was such a powerful moment for me to realize, like, I'm not just singing. I think the power in what I'm doing is something beyond my voice. Like it's something spiritual and it changed the way I approach my performances. Mm. I remember that moment. I remember that moment because every time I hear you sing, the hair on my arms goes up, whether it's on Instagram or on a video or watching you live. Honestly, because I, I relive that moment with you every time I hear you sing. And for me, I, I believe that everyone is divine and that we can sort of tap into that divine within us. I experienced that with you when I watch you sing. Honestly, it's like this portal and like your voice is like, I'm like, where is that coming from? <laughs> like that's her, this is insane. What? I'm so enamored and captivated by you. I'm just like, it literally like, it, you're so in your element. You're so deeply connected to like what I consider the divine energy. And, you know, James Hillman talks about in his book about the daemon, like that spirit part within each person. I think every human being has this, right? But it's like, how do we find that? How do we find what that is for each person? And you have definitely found it. It's singing for sure. And those of us who get to listen to you and experience you live, we see it because it's like illuminating. It's amazing. Yeah, it was just absolutely amazing. I mean, that's something I'll never forget as long as I live in moments of doubt when I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? I do remember that. I think of that and it keeps me going. Oh, so thank you. I love that. And then there was a moment that you and I had another auto show related moment. We were at our training and we were standing on the back patio. It was like this little happy hour, like welcome event they had. And you were going between two choices at the time. You were deciding whether you were going to go like toward a more corporate route and take this job that was like a badass job where you would have been a boss babe and like doing all these amazing things or 
if you were going to choose to like continue on the artist path and build out your one woman shows and your plays and continue working toward that goal that has been on your heart forever. And I said to you, choose art. And I don't know where that came from. Like it just like flew out of me. It wasn't like, oh, you know what? I should give Tina some advice. And I I thought nothing of it at the time. I just like, I just need to say this to her and then Mm -hmm. moved on. And then you wrote me a note maybe a month or two later. Mm -hmm. Two months later. Yeah. I still remember that moment. That moment is like in the most beautiful way, scarred in like my consciousness. Because you just looked at me and you said, choose art. And it did something to me. It did something to the experience of me in my body. And I thought, yep, she's right. It was one of those moments. I couldn't avoid the truth. She's right. You affected me so deeply in that moment. Also partially because, like you said earlier, we didn't know each other as well. But here you were. Like this, like a divine goddess coming into my life saying like, yeah, hi, you don't know me. I'm Lauren. Uh, by the way, choose art. I'm just like, what the hell? Hi, who are you? What? Yes, you're right. You know, like <laughs> it was like, that was what was happening in that moment. I was just like, this woman who I barely know literally sees me. Mm-hmm. It's like when you have those powerful moments with strangers, like you just meet somebody and you just have like this really powerful moment and off you go into your own. And you're just like, what was that? But like when two humans see each other, because earlier today I said something, I said, I want to meet people. I wrote this down again on my one page of one-liners. I said, I want to meet people who I can communicate with just my eyes. Words are cheap. And I was like, that's powerful because there are people like that. You're one of those people for me. I can just look at you and there's a whole conversation happening. We don't need to use words. And I think there's people like that for everybody. And when we have those moments, they just feel so powerful, almost like these divine messages. Yeah. I love that we've both been messengers for each other. And I'm really in awe of you. And I'm so proud of you. And you are just in your truth. And it's just really beautiful to see, really inspiring. Mm, Thank you, sweetheart. I have one final question for you. I mean, I could ask you like a million more, but you'll come back, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. So I believe creativity is deeply connected to the inner child. And so when you think back to little Christina, little Tina, whatever age you think of her, if you two were standing in the same room looking at each other, what do you think the younger version of you would say to you now and why? You're going to have to come watch Scar because that's exactly how the show closes. Oh, I can't tell you. (laughs) Yeah, Scar is... Scar is, is, is everything. It's, it's like everything I have learned, understood, questioned, discovered, investigated about myself, experienced within the experience of myself, all Christina's from birth till now, maybe even more from past lives are in this show. It is my process of coming to terms and discovering the power of the human spirit, the resilience we all have in us, the alchemist we all have in us, not just artists, to be able to transform our life through our mindset and our choices and taking on self-responsibility. And that journey, as painful and hard and gut-wrenching, 
one of the worst experiences of my life. Like, I'm not going to lie to you and pretend, oh, it was all fun and beautiful and amazing. And I learned all these things. No, it was gut-wrenching. It was painful. However, it gave me myself. And that is the gift. That is what makes me feel inner peace. And all of that, because I'm an artist and the only thing I knew, like you said, I agree with you. Creativity comes from the inner child. And my inner child was like, okay, well, the Greeks didn't want me to express myself. No problem. I'm going to do it now. And my little Greek girl who couldn't express herself, who was told, you know, inadvertently, not directly to not express herself, expressed herself by writing Scar. She speaks. She speaks. And she she closes the show as she should. Well, I guess my next question may also be in the play. So you can just also say no if it is. <laughs> but <laughs> I usually ask the, the opposite question. What would you say to her and why? I love you because I do. I've always loved you and I will never stop loving you. I love you. And thank you for thank you for surviving. Thank you for being committed to a journey to heal. And thank you for giving us all the permission to start that journey ourselves mm. and take up space, tell the truth and be who we really, really are. I love you so much. Thank you. I love you too, Lauren. Thank you for listening. And thanks to my guest, Christina Helena. For more info on Christina, follow her at I am Christina Helena on Instagram. To learn more about her solo show, Scar, and watch her TEDx talk, or even work with her as a coach, go to her website, ChristinaHelena.com. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. You can follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. Remember, if you liked what you heard today, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, follow the show on Spotify, share the show with a friend, and post about it on your social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag Christina at I am Christina Helena so she can share too. My wish for you this week is that you find the beauty in whatever scars you may have. And remember that healing is a lifelong journey, not a destination. When you can really surrender to that, there's beauty and there's definitely creativity to be found. Also, I'm going to give you the advice I once gave Tina and tell you to choose art whatever that means for you. I love you and I believe in you. I'll talk with you next week. Bye.